Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Do 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 do. Well, we are here recording in a live audience setting. We haven't done this for a little over a year. In fact, uh, the last time we did this, Nicholas, it was right when we got back from our Illinois trip last year where we interviewed uh, Judd McCollum and Mitch Gleason and John Waller on all the crazy stuff they've, like mammoth tusks. Oh, when we were in Illinois last? Yeah, yeah. We got back at like 2 a.m. and then we had to be up early and do a a live show. Yep. It was the Owls. It wasn't a rotary. It was an Owls. Yeah, an Owls club. Yep. It was a lot of fun. So we're glad to be here. We're in the American heartland city of East Moline, Illinois, just mere miles away from... uh, basically the revolution of modern farming, right? Uh, we, Nick, Nicholas joked, if we had put a picture of our combines up on the screen, you guys probably would have broken the TV. Uh, we, we run a lot of orange over in uh, Linville, Iowa, but we do use a uh, John Deere windrower. We spend a lot of hours on that every yeah. summer. We also and- don't own anything that was made uh, after anybody here was born. <laughs> so it is all super old. All pre-World War. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, we're, we're happy to be here and we're happy to talk conservation with you. Um, uh, just a reminder, our podcast is presented by Hoxie Native Seeds and Wild Rivers Coffee Company. Uh, I got my new bag of coffee ordered, Nicholas. It's uh, coming. I got the, uh, the Bear Roast, which is uh, the Guatemalan. What do, what, do they, what do they sponsor out of that? That goes to backcountry hunters and anglers, um, a, uh, huh. a another conservation organization that I'm a member of myself. So uh, our our listeners know, but for anyone here at the Rotary Club that doesn't know, uh, Wild Rivers is a coffee company, and every bag that you purchase, a percentage of it goes to a specific conservation group, um, and they have great coffee. Uh, Kent actually almost exclusively orders. Have you guys heard of the? Uh, coffee that oh, has to be not listen, by a cat don't and then it gets pooped out by a cat and then Ken that's all he'll he's very prestigious about the kind of coffee <laughs> he drinks after you pick the hair out it's not so bad <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> no I do not drink that coffee I don't have that kind of money or that kind of taste but uh <laughs> Nicholas is going to introduce us for this uh podcast on just kind of I know our listeners are familiar with the story but the story of Hoxie Native Seeds, our founder, Carol Hoxbergen, and uh, kind of his vision when he decided to go from conventional row crop ag model to uh, our, our alternative cropping system of growing wild prairie flowers and grasses and sedges. I don't think we've told our listeners this yet, but and maybe we did. We re-recorded the first episode yes. of, uh, of it, which is dad telling a story about uh, starting the farm. So there's like an hour and a half version of this on, it's the first episode that we have. All the nitty gritty details. Yes. Um, I will not be able to cover all of those. It is a very interesting story. Here's what I will say. He, uh, farming had crashed in the middle of the eighties. There was no way to make money on livestock or corn or beans. And he had just taken over the farm from grandpa. I mean, you know, taken a huge loan out from the bank, purchased the land and then the economy said, we're not giving you any money for any of this. And uh, the only money he got for a couple of years, this is it, was the government paid him. And some of you guys might remember this. The government would pay people to store corn because there was so much of it. They had no idea what to do with it. So, and he had a friend who really, really liked hunting. He kept saying, hey, you don't have any place to hunt. He's like, no, I corn and bean everything. There's no, there's no habitat out here. 
And uh, he started to notice that the pheasants on his farm would leave every night. They'd leave his fields and they'd go into a ditch nearby. And turns out there was prairie there. And that started him on this journey. It involves accidentally burning down a bunch of cedar trees, uh, wasting thousands of dollars planting incorrectly, um, and eventually leading into what he does today, which is, well, him and Kent, which is um, they uh, grow and harvest uh, 50 species. Um, and actually, the 50 species isn't the impressive part. I know a lot of uh, several people who, quote unquote, collect wildflower or prairie grass seed from from 50, 100, 150 species. It's the quantity. So to get 10 pounds of common mountain mint, which is a wildflower, is very, very hard. And you have to hand weed those fields. So you can't have 30 acres of it because you have to walk those fields. So he, he does that today. Well, actually, mostly he just checks in on Kent and I and makes sure that Kent's doing his job right. Turns out if you're willing to hold a garden hoe long enough, it's pretty good job security. Yeah, yeah. but uh, that's a little bit of his story. Again, please go back and listen to it. He has an incredible story. He, he faced a lot of discrimination against farmers around him. He started no-tilling in the 70s, and he was basically bullied by his neighbors for it. And now it's a, a common practice, way ahead of his time. Um, really admirable and, and gave up a lot. Get every boom of corn and beans that there's been, you know, in the 2000s and even a few years ago, he's given up all that money and he has put all his money because he believes that wildlife is worth it and he's wanting to do something about it. So it's a cool story. Yeah. So definitely go back to that first episode. We had to re-record because, uh, you know, we didn't know what we were doing the first time we did it. And it sounded about like cat crap coffee. It was terrible. So, uh, it was not, it didn't sound very good. Uh, but, uh, so I thought, you know, we're in Illinois. I actually grew up in the Quad City area. I grew, I'm a grad from Sherrard High School, and that is the last time I've actually been to a rotary, meaning I went to the Milan Rotary. I think I was, by some miracle, I was the uh, foreign language student of the month. I think uh, my teacher just felt bad for me, saw that I was trying, but, but uh, give, give it didn't to want us, me Ken. to give Show up. Show us what you learned. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be back in a rotary okay. meeting. Uh, um, but, uh, and I also know... Uh, John Michael Nelson. Uh, we worked together a lot of summers, sweating it out at uh, working at the, in the Sherrard School District, uh, waxing floors and everything. So I feel like I'm coming home today uh, for this for this podcast. But um, I wanted to just you know my topic is going to be related to Illinois, and we are in the um, hometown of John Deere, and uh, I wanted to tie that into like the history of Prairie here in Illinois and, and not just the history, but where we're at now and looking forward into the future. So, uh, the John Deere plow, the first successfully, uh, you know, commercially produced plow, something that was available at large scale came off the line in 1837, which is interesting to me because my grandfather, whose farm I live on now, um, he was born in 1937. And uh, that, of course, was on the other side of the uh, Mississippi River in central Iowa. And uh, there's a little bit of an interesting timeline there. But in 1837, these, uh, these commercially available plows were rolled off the line and farmers started uh, using them you know, widely across the country. And uh, what's interesting is what, what did they use to plow the soil before John Deere? Well, Nicholas and I had that question answered. Uh, about a month and a half ago, we went and did a podcast at uh, the Nelson Pioneer Museum over in uh, around Oskaloosa, Iowa, and they had an old um, pr- 
pre John Deere plow sitting there. And basically what they would do is they'd find like a, uh, a branch that kind of worked like the right shape of a uh, plow and they'd cut the ends of the branches off. And then they'd have uh, individual plows that they'd put on each point of those branch, those branches. Uh, but they, the problem there was they weren't self-scouring like the John Deere plow. So they would just cake up and bog down in the mud. And it was, you know, an already difficult job was much more difficult. And so it was fascinating to me that one of the greatest uh, inventions of the last two or three hundred years was metal shaped a little differently. You know, like now we think of technology as like cars that drive themselves and people go into space. But like one of the things that furthered human civilization more than anything, really, in hundreds of years was just metal a little different. Well, and, you know, the heat treat on it as well. You know, we're dealing with, you know, John Deere was using steel as opposed to just those mm-hmm. iron, uh, you know, not heated metal, like heat treated metal like steel is. But, but uh, so that helped with the binding of soil too. But sorry, I'm, I used to be a biology teacher, so I can, can nerd out here a little bit. But, but, um, but uh, by 1900, so Illinois, what's the, this could have been a trivia question. What's the nickname for Illinois? The prairie state, right? Um, and at, at one time, uh, so in the year 1820, 17 years before the John Deere's plow, there were 22 million acres of prairie in Illinois. And then by the start of the next century, by the year 1900, uh, most of that prairie was gone. And by 1978, we were down to 2,300 acres of uh, prairie left in in illinois um of the original right of the remnant prairie yep and so uh you know kind of a sad tragic story there what illinois is known for its nip its namesake right um is all but non-existent uh, anymore at this point right um and of course you know there's there's a fine line to walk here like there's a lot of good that came out of that right there's a lot of a lot of you know people were allowed to get jobs off the farm and advance our technologies and and um, you know education was able to you know become what it is today and medical advancements and so on and so forth and so there's there's trade offs right but the thing that we lost was um, not just what Illinois is known for so you know there's like a sentimental attachment there but we lost a lot of uh, just wild and natural uh, beauty and things that were good for the world around us. Think of water quality, um, air quality, soil quality, habitat value for our wildlife. And uh, along with the loss of prairie, we lost a lot of, a lot along with that, right? And a lot of the, uh, the natural problems that we see today stem back to that. And of course, it's not just in Illinois, it's in Indiana, it's in Iowa, it's in um, uh, Michigan and Southern Wisconsin, Southern Minnesota. We, we, it's a lot of the same story, right? And so uh, it's not the end of the story, though. Um, in 1985, many of you probably remember when uh, the federal government through the U.S. Department of Agriculture rolled out the Conservation Reserve Program or the CRP program, as most people refer to it as. And uh, that's been a, a big victory for Prairie. Um, Illinois, Nicholas was telling me this, Illinois is the, uh, um, second, mo- has the second most acres enrolled 
in CRP programs or in the CRP program. And uh, uh, just ahead of that is Iowa. And I looked up, there's a good website called the EWG Conservation Database that we've referenced before. Uh, they basically sift through all this federal data to come up with numbers on how many acres, how much money is dispersed through CRP, all that. And uh, in Illinois today, well, as, as of 2020 is the last time they did a, a survey of the data, there were just shy of 606,000 acres of restored prairie. So that's pretty big. You know, that's a, that's a great win. And uh, that's really, you know, to tie that back into um, what Nicholas was talking about with Carol, that's really been uh, a big part of what Carol's work has been for the past 40 years is growing seed for the CRP programs. But as we look towards the future, um, 606,000 is a huge win. It's a huge victory. But we started at 22 million, right? Now, it's about 3%. Yeah, something Nick's the math guy, but um, he, he's the sales and office guy, but um, but that's still a far cry from 22 million, right? And and we can't go back to 22 million. We have good things that have come by removing prairie. You know, that's hard to say, but it's true, right? Um, but we need to find something that's closer to the the middle of that, and so we can also throw in there some of the things that you guys have probably seen before, like the Nachusa grasslands run by the Nature Conservancy. I think it's out by Dixon. Uh, I think there's another large prairie reconstruction down near uh, Peoria. I think, right, Ben? I think that you guys have gone to down there, and uh, th there's a few others around the state. So that number's probably actually, you know, closer maybe to like 700,000 acres of restored prairie. In Illinois, but a great way that I think that Nicholas has talked about a lot of times is uh, backyard pollinator, right, Nick? Yeah, I I think our motto used to be conservation happens one yard at a time because we sat down and we we said what actually would move conservation forward, what would help with the uh, the basically the apocalypse for the insects that has happened recently, taking away. I mean, elk was were eradicated on this side of the Mississippi. What would help with these things and 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 we thought, well, we could force we could force government programs. We could force and look, guys, I don't like the government. <laughs> I don't like government programs. I don't want more government programs. So so what's your alternative? And, and we, we we spent months, Ken and I months thinking, what can we do? And, and the alternative is is a mass consciousness growing in the area of conservation. That's why we started the podcast. Because even if you wanted to move the government, the government gets moved often by big business, which then is moved by consumers. So if the consumers of us, all of us sitting here and, and listening to this said, you know what I really want? I, I really want products that didn't decimate uh, fields where bees could have pollination um, or, or tree groves where... Um, we're, old, we're on monarch paths where they're trying to get from Canada down to Mexico. You know, that, that's what I want. And, and if we got together and decided to spend our money in such a way, then we could uh, um, then we could actually make a change. Then you're you're changing the mind or you're changing the product that these bigger corporations are, are serving. And then that they're going to start lobbying for um, different things in the government. But uh, we also said, well, what can we do? You know, what can an average person do besides talk about it a little more or something and and we we designed backyard pollinators that was i think we sell them as little as 500 square feet you know something real small um but the idea and i'm, I'm not trying to 
sell you on buying this thing from us. You don't have to get it from us. But if you took, we did the math. If greater Chicago, 10% of the houses took 500 square feet and put some pollinator friendly something in there, it would end up being 4,000 acres of pollinator friendly area where um, limitless habitat could happen in there. I mean, you're talking about, you could see pheasants in cities hopping from little field to little field and they'd have the food, they'd have the sustenance to do that. Now, obviously you wouldn't see them as prevalent as out when you're hunting them on a, on a CRP field. But the point is we could integrate better. And I think um, almost what you were alluding to on your topic today uh, was that there was such a big change. We, we can't go back to 22 million acres of prairie. Our economy and lives depend on, on what happens on those acres. But instead of 3%, we could maybe have 7%. Yeah, there's a lot of green space, you know, uh, think of, you know, my yard at home or think of uh, uh, a lot of times there's urban green spaces like near hospitals or, or uh, churches and things like that where we, those are acres that, that could serve a new purpose or an old purpose in this case and yeah. be, be restored to uh, pollinator habitat, um, even things like songbirds. And, of course, it's nice to get those charismatic species. And some of you might be thinking, wait, they have a non-native species for their logo. Um, that's true. Uh, the pheasant is not native to America even, but um, it is part of our story, which is why yeah. we include it. And uh, so it, it is fun to think about things like pheasants and quail. And, and I would say it represents the way that we think about things. It doesn't have to go to just how it was. We don't want to go get water in a bucket from the stream. We <laughs> like what we have now. It doesn't have to go to exactly what it was, but there's a way forward that, that works well with nature. Right, right. It's like the Prairie Phoenix. That's kind of what it's the like. The Prairie Phoenix. Like that one? We might've uh, missed out on the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have done as well. But, um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, you know, where we're at now and looking forward, we're going to, you know, and, and some of those like CRP, it is a government program and I'm thankful for it. And I'm, I'm happy that my tax dollars go to support it. Um, Can't I argue about the government a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Can't throw it all away, Nick. But, uh, but, um, no, it's it's fun though to think about how each one of us can have a have a hand in the way forward and and with every little bit that we've been given, um, as far as land goes, land is our most valuable commodity, right? Um, what we're entrusted to and how we can shape that and and try and improve the natural scene, not just here in Illinois but across our whole country and then hopefully around the globe. You know, it's the the change has to start. At, in one spot and from there it catches on and it flows out and we've been seeing that there's been a great response i think over the last several years um not just from us but from all all prairie enthusiasts to, you know we were a part of an organization known as the iowa prairie network and uh just to see the work that they've been able to to help with and a lot of other people in the prairie industry i think the future is very bright and uh that's one thing our founder uh carol taught me was Kent, you can't be a pessimist and be in the conservation business. You gotta, you gotta have that optimistic outlook. And, uh, that's true. I think there's been a lot of good things that have happened here and, uh, even seeing things around the quad city area. Um, uh, I heard last week you guys had Nahant Marsh in, which is just a, a great conservation success story here in our area. And, uh, um, I know of some other projects that have gone on that have really made a change even since I was a kid. 
Um, and uh, I'm hopeful for the world that my kids are going to, you know, grow up in and, and what they'll get, the marks they'll get to leave. You know, maybe we can bring back the prairie grasses, flowers, sedges, um, and they can bring back the elk to Illinois someday. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Man. Well, thank you so much for listening to uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Do not forget, we are gratefully sponsored by Wild Rivers Coffee. Great coffee, great cause, great company. Um, oh, and go back and listen to the episode with Marshall, the 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 owner. Yeah, that was a really good. He's, he's a really yeah. cool guy. But um, and thank you to Dad and Hawks and Seeds for paying for us to be here. And, and the East Moline Rotary Club for hosting us. Yeah, what an exciting time! Thank you so much for having us. And uh, remember, conservation happens one mind at a time.